You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And and Jesus is saying, I'm going to come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Later on in John 14, he says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Lord sent the Holy Spirit as he promised. And it's still true today. Everyone who repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ and calls on Jesus' name for salvation, receives the Holy Spirit. And it really is truly a game changer, to use a tired phrase, but it is a game changer. It changes everything. The almighty creator God, the one who threw the worlds into existence, he put his spirit in us, and it changes everything. We're told in Corinthians that that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. You will never be the same again. The Holy Spirit is in you, giving you the power to live an entirely new life with Christ, through Christ, and in Christ. The Holy Spirit made a profound difference in the lives of those first believers. And the Holy Spirit should make a profound difference in our lives today. You know, and I think sometimes we can look at the apostles and, you know, those first Christians, and we can say, yeah, you know, they were kind of like super Christians, right? They were kind of, they were apostles. They actually had known Jesus personally and they walked with him, and they were taught by him, and they had, you know, they, they kind of had like special insight, in, you know, insider information, you know, that we don't have. But nothing could be further from the truth. Now, as is my custom, I always like to quote from Aaron's sermon that he's preaching next week, just to steal a little bit of his thunder, right? So, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, it says this. Now, they, now when they, and he's talking about the, the, the religious leaders, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astounded. They were astonished, I mean. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated common men. I don't know, it doesn't, that doesn't sound really complimentary to me, you know? It's almost kind of like they're saying, they're hicks, you know? They're, they're kind of backwoods kind of guys, like they're just uneducated common men. But they were men who had been radically changed by the love of Christ and the power of his resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They were not impressive men, but they had a boldness, and they were recognized as having been with Jesus. And they were causing a major stir in the city of Jerusalem. So here's today's question. Would it be possible 
for Restoration Church, one of the smaller and perhaps less impressive churches in Cambridge. I mean, we don't even have a building, right? Uh, so would it be possible, and, and I, please don't take offense to this, but for regular, no, I didn't say uneducated, <laughs> regular common people that attend Restoration Church, would it be possible for us to cause a major stir in the city of Cambridge? Being known for, first of all, boldness, and secondly, a relationship with Jesus. And as we look through the book of Acts, we must remember that what happened there was accomplished by ordinary men who were in an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. Men who acted in the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that resides in you and I. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a story that actually spans a couple of, a couple of chapters and... Um, I've, I've sort of taken the liberty, because I'm kicking it off, I've taken the liberty of breaking it down into six individual scenes. Now we'll see next week if, if Aaron follows through with you know, my, my program here. But I'm going to cover the first three scenes, which is in the chapter of, uh, uh, third chapter of Acts, and Aaron will cover the next three scenes, which uh, cover the next couple of weeks. So I'll let him handle that. But... Uh, I'd like to kind of take a little in-depth look at this, at this story, maybe give you some insights that you haven't thought about. And then at the end of it, I'd like to give you some observations and applications that I think we can take away from this story. So are you with me? You know what, let's just pray first. Lord, would you open up our hearts and our ears to your word? Would we take what you say in your word and apply it to our lives in such a way, Lord, that we we, just, just regular people, will cause a stir in the city of Cambridge. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All right, scene one, the prelude. Okay, Acts chapter three, verse one. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms, of those who were entering the temple. So the temple in Jerusalem was the center of Jewish worship in that day, in the first century. And every day at, at, at nine o'clock in the morning, they had a morning sacrifice. And then again at three o'clock, or the ninth hour, which was just nine hours from six o'clock in the morning, right? Because you know, for the second hour would be eight o'clock and so on and so forth, right? So three o'clock in the afternoon, they had the evening sacrifice. And it was a time where people gathered to worship God and to pray. So Peter and John were headed to the temple. Now, Peter and John were just following the custom that would have been a normal routine for a first century Jew in the city of, in the city of Jerusalem, okay? This wasn't some planned outreach. They weren't part of a, a summer missions team going off to the temple to hand out tracts about Jesus. You know, they were just doing their normal everyday thing. And at exactly the same time, there's another man arriving at the temple. A man who had, had been born with, with, with ankles and feet that were, that were so se severely disabled 
that he'd never walked a day in his life. And now this man, he's in his 40s. He's had to be carried everywhere in his life. He is completely dependent on family and friends to get around. And every day they brought him to the temple and they sat him down at this gate, which is called the beautiful gate, so that he could ask for money for people who are entering into the temple. So just like we see, you know, in in our city, we see people standing at stop signs at the Delta and I see them outside of Home Depot and, and all around the city with the little sign there, help if you can. He picked a busy thoroughfare right outside the temple that he knew there was going to be a ton of people passing by. I mean, what better place to find sympathetic believers, right? What, what better place to find sympathetic people who would, who would maybe put a, drop a few coins in his, in his basket than, than the temple, right? So each day for a few hours, he would collect a few coins, go home, come back the next day, do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. This man was a regular fixture at the temple. If you went daily after so many trips to the evening sacrifice, you probably didn't even really think about him, right? You just would pass him. He was always there, right? And if you ever did drop a few coins in there because, you know, out of guilt, you're like, oh boy, I better help this guy out, right? You know, he's there every day and, you know, you, you kind of drop your coins in there and you zip into the, you know, because you don't want to be late for the worship service, right? So you just kind of drop a few coins. Don't make eye contact, right? Don't encourage him. Just kind of, you know, I did my duty today, Lord. You know, what? Like, just think about that for a second. What a dehumanizing demeaning, hopeless, sad, lonely existence this guy led. But all of that is about to change. Okay? Scene two, the divine appointment. Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man's sitting there. Peter and John come in. Excuse me, sir. Can you you spare some change? And we're told that Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. He looked at him. He made eye contact. What did did Peter see when he looked at this guy? Well, he saw his condition, for sure. He probably saw his his feet and ankles kind of twisted and 
You know, but maybe he also saw some hopelessness and some sorrow, some frustration, some humiliation. And I, I don't know, we can only speculate. But we know for sure that Peter immediately saw what the answer to this man's condition was. And it was Jesus. So he dresses the man. I have, I have no silver or gold, but what I do, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, why, rise and walk. And he reaches down, and he grabs the guy by the hand, he pulls him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles are healed and strengthened. I mean, you've got to think about this for a second. Like, what, what happened there? You know, this man had to be carried everywhere. As a, as a child, he, you know, his parents probably sat him by the window and he looked out and he watched the other kids running and playing. Technically, he actually never learned to walk, right? I mean, here's a guy, I mean, my son, my grandson is starting to walk, little Sully, little Sully Heaton. The name carries on. <laughs> yeah, anyways, uh, you know, Sully, he's just learning to walk now, right? You know, and he just kind of gets there and he kind of, you know, right? And then he, then he sits down, right? Because he doesn't want to do it. I mean, this guy never learned to walk. But all of a sudden, boom, he's on his feet. And immediately, in the name of Jesus, he's made whole. We're not talking about, you know, one of these faith sideshows, right? Where it's like, I think I can feel a little tingling, you know, in my, I think I can feel some tingling in my legs, you know, praise God, right, you know. It's not like that at all. This guy jumps up. He's miraculously, completely, and instantly healed. And not only can he stand up, he can leap, skip, and jump. Not to mention whooping it up a little bit, right? You know, like, <laughs> I, you, you have to think about this, right? Like, folks, it doesn't give us this, but it does, right? You know, it doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but this guy's like, woo <laughs> look at me, I can walk, right? He's like, you know, <laughs> whoa, praise God, I can walk, right? Okay, 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 watch this, watch this, watch this. You know, it's like, He's doing all of this stuff because it says there he was leaping and praising God and jumping. He's like, his legs are working. He's like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm sure there were people who were like, they were, maybe they were the modern Christians, the uh, forefathers of Christians that we all know. Oh, well, that's not very dignified. You know, look at him, he's in his 40s, for heaven's sakes. This is the temple. We have a, we have a worship decorum here, you know? He's not, we can't be acting like this. Naturally, a commotion breaks out, right? So can't you imagine that? It's like, hey, Zach, isn't, isn't that the guy that used to sit over at the gate over there? Like, isn't he the one whose feet were all twisted? What, the guy who's been there for like ever? Nah, couldn't be. No, I'm telling you, it's the guy. It's the guy, it's him. 
Well, I mean, kind of resembles him, I guess. No, I'm telling you, it's the guy. It's the guy. This is crazy. We got to go check this out. This is amazing. This guy who was who was lame is now walking. Scene three, sermon. Well, he clung to Peter and John. I mean, it's not hard to imagine. It's like, is this going to end anytime soon? Like, you see him kind of like, you know, like you just have this sense that he's like so clinging to them, thinking, if I let go of these guys, are my feet going to give out? You know, so he's clinging to them. All the people were utterly astounded and ran together to the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus and you delivered him over and denied uh, in the presence of Pilate when he, was dis- when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of, all, of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said... The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in you... Your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Having God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter, seeing an opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus immediately and thoroughly deflects attention from himself. You know, he, want, he, wants, he wants the attention off himself and he places it squarely on Jesus. Now, I, nope, I won't go there. <laughs> I won't talk about faith healing today. But, you know, and, and I'm just amazed at how quickly Peter does this. He doesn't even entertain a single thought about taking any credit for what's happened. And he goes on to lift up the name of Jesus using only the most lofty 
an exalted language. Look at the, at the words that he uses to describe Jesus. He calls him God's servant. He calls him the holy and righteous one. He calls him the author of life. He calls him the Christ, which in that day was, was a very, very significant title to the Jewish people in that time. He called him the prophet. And there's no confusion in Peter's mind that what happened was the work of Jesus and he wanted everyone to know it. His sermon was about Jesus from start to finish. So what do we say, what, you know, what do we do with the story? What do we say about it? What, do, what can we learn about it? What can we apply to our lives? And I don't want to spend a lot of time on the, the subject of faith healing and miracles and yeah, don't, don't send me an email at, you know, this afternoon about, you know, somebody that you know that went to a faith healing. I'd like to have a nap. Um, but, you know, I'd offer these observations courtesy of John Stott, okay? So your arguments with John Stott, not with me, but I agree with him. So I, I suppose that puts me in the same camp. And this is the healing. So, that, you know, when it comes to healing... You want, you want some kind of rules there to check out and say, you know, was, was this an actual faith healing? Here's what, here's what he tells us. The healing was instantaneous, complete, and permanent. Secondly, it was absolutely indisputable and publicly acknowledged. So Peter's standing there and he's saying, look, you guys all know that what happened here, this guy was lame. He could not walk. He was completely disabled. And now he can walk. And you've seen it. So it was indisputable and publicly acknowledged. And I would add this to mind, that Christ received absolutely all of the credit and all of the glory. So none went to the, to the purse strings of, the, you know, of, of Peter and John. They weren't starting up a faith ministry so that they could... Um, by a plane so that they could, you know, travel all over the world as it, as it were. To me, that's not the main point of the story. The actual main point of the story is sharing Jesus with others, okay? Peter and John witnessed about the good news, the gospel. And as spectacular as that physical healing was, the real miracle happened, and again, I'm stealing Aaron's thunder. Sorry, brother, but I just, I, it, I just can't help it. Um, the, real, the real miracle happened that 5,000 people, 5,000 people who heard the message and saw what had happened placed their faith in Christ, and they were saved. Remember what Jesus said in the first chapter? We, we, a couple weeks back, we looked at the first chapter of Acts. He says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. They were witnesses of Christ. Peter even said that in his sermon. Of this, we are witnesses. And that same command, it applies to us we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. So let me give you a couple of observations from this passage that will help you be an effective witness to the person work of Jesus. So number one, divine appointments. This man arrived at the temple 
at exactly the same time as Peter and John. Coincidence? I think not. This meeting was orchestrated by God. Before that man was born, God set him apart for his own glory. God set up that appointment and exactly the right moment, God brought Peter and John along and the man was healed and Jesus got the glory. Has it ever occurred to you that your life is a series of divine appointments? That God, according to his perfect will and perfect knowledge, brings people into your life who need healing. And I'm not talking about physical, I'm talking about spiritual. Is it possible that there's people in your life right now who are just waiting to hear the gospel so that they can respond to it. Every person who has ever placed their faith in Christ has heard the message from somewhere. Now, a few, a few people, and I'm not going to dispute that, but a few people you know, pick their Bible up and read it, start in Genesis, and eventually they end up in the New Testament, and they see Jesus, and they, and they place their faith. But I would say the majority of people, and I don't know, I will give you a percentage, 95, 99.9, I don't know what, the, what it is. It starts by hearing the gospel from somebody. Somebody tells them about the Lord. People that come across your path, do you see them as being placed there by God? God will bring people across your path in the, in the ordinary, everyday, day-to-day activities. You meet people. And we just need to open up our spiritual eyes. Which brings me to my second observation, which is seeing and engaging people. You know, this week as I was kind of thinking through this passage, and I, I, I love these kind of passages because I'm like, okay, why, why did he include that detail? You know, why did he include, why, why, did, why did God through the writer include that detail. And one of the things that, that really struck me this, this week was, was that part where it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. Peter, Peter saw him. Peter didn't just kind of glance at him. He, he, he saw the man. Now, I don't know about you, but I always find myself in a hurry. You know, and so, you know, like I'm always rushing everywhere. I'm always like, you know, I start, I start talking to people. And I think, oh, I got to go, right? And I'm like, but where am I going to, right? Where am I going that's so important? You know, busyness, hurry, all this impersonal rushing around that we do in the 21st century, I believe is a great ailment of our day. And I believe it's the enemy of forming significant relationships. 
You know, no wonder people feel so alone. Like, where are you going that's so all fired important? You know, like, I ask myself that question. Why, why are you in such a hurry? You know, if we're going to have any kind of effective witness for Christ, we need to slow down and we need to direct our gaze at people. We need to really see them. We need to genuinely engage with them. You know, stop, stop rushing around. Stop seeing interactions as interruptions. And start looking at people and engaging with them and making time for those divine appointments that God is squarely placing in your path. Finally, it's about leading with Jesus. The only way that we can do this is if we have a personal, life-changing experience with Christ. Have you had a personal, life-changing experience with Jesus? Now, I want you to notice, I didn't ask you if you were saved. I didn't ask you if you believed in Jesus. I'm assuming that that's true. I asked you if you'd had a personal, life-changing experience with Jesus. What difference is Jesus making in your life since you've been saved? Do you have a personal, daily, active relationship with the Lord? Placing your faith in Jesus for salvation is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. And it's a story that's going to last into eternity. And, and sadly, for many Christians, it is the end of the story. Because they never venture any further in their relationship with the Lord. You know, my son, whom I'm very proud of, has just completed his Master's of Divinity. What? I, I'm looking. <laughs> yes. Master's of Divinity at uh, Heritage College in the area of counseling. And once a week he, at the church that he goes, he, 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 he talks with people, does some counseling, speaks with people who are, you know, I, I wouldn't say in deep, deep crisis, but some of them are in crisis. Some of them are at the beginning of crisis. Some of them are just having a difficult, going through a difficult uh, stretch. And one of the questions that he asks them is, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And he usually gets the same look. Like it's some kind of novel idea. What do you mean, my relationship with the Lord? Well, you know, how often are you reading your Bible? How often are you praying? How often are you engaging with the with with the Lord? Are you are you trying to follow the Lord? Are you listening for His Spirit's voice? You know, and and it's like, huh? I should try that. Yeah, you should try it because that's what Christians do, right? It's a problem in the church. I know I'm kind of joking about it, but it is a problem in the church. Because you cannot share if you don't have the experience. Now, I used to work with a guy who was a character, funny guy, funny odd, not funny haha. Um, <laughs> his name was John Henry. 
which, which in itself was kind of funny, right? You know, you hear me say, put your John Henry here, you know? It's like, and, I always, and he used to say two things, right? Um, you know, I'd say, how you doing? And he would either say, fine as frog's hair, <laughs> or he would say, empty wagons. Empty wagons. And what he really meant when he said empty wagons was, I got nothing in the tank. I got nothing to share. I got nothing, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of pulling an empty wagon. You know, don't be an empty wagon. Folks, don't be an empty wagon. Don't pull an empty Christian wagon behind you. You know, Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you experienced this abundance of the heart? To experience true life change, you need to hang out with Jesus every day, just like Peter did. You see, Peter knew what it was to have a personal relationship with Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years. He had a personal, intimate knowledge of who Jesus was. He walked with Jesus in the good times, and he walked with Jesus in the bad times, through ministry success, and through rejection. Sometimes he really got it, and then other times Jesus had to rebuke him for saying dumb things. He'd been in Jesus' inner circle where there were three disciples who saw some of the most amazing things that, that, that Jesus did on earth. And then on the other hand, he personally denied Jesus. I don't, I don't, know, who this, I don't know who this man is. Never met him before. Only again to be restored by the Lord back to fellowship. The Lord just saying, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, Lord, you know I do. And when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence in Peter's life and Peter's heart so that Peter could continue his relationship with Jesus. And even though Jesus was no longer physically present, he was present in a much more powerful, intimate, life-changing way through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not only had Peter being a witness to the resurrection of Jesus, he had also personally experienced a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's why he says in his sermon, repent therefore and turn back from your sins, that, or that your sins may be blotted, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He knew what it was. He knew what it was to have times of refreshing with the Lord. So I ask you again, have you had a personal life-changing experience with Jesus? See, there's no, there's no secret to the Christian life. There's no magical solution. No instantaneous results. Peter, of all people, knew this. It takes a daily commitment to walk with Jesus, and over time comes significant life change the abundance of the heart. When your wagons are full, sharing Jesus is just going to flow out of your heart. It's going to flow out of that abundance. You know, and at Restoration, we want to help you get there. That's what we, that's what's really at the, at the heart of what drives us forward is to see that each person has a life-changing experience with Christ. Last week, 
Aaron shared with us the, the four things that, that separated the church of that day, and I hope it's, a, it's something that we're building here. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of, uh, uh, to, to the fellowship, so fellowshipping with one another, encouraging one another in the Lord, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Lord, um, the Lord wants us to walk with him in newness of life, and he's given us everything that we need to do that. And I hope this morning, as we look at this passage, you, 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 don't, you don't just see a man who is healed physically, but you see many, many, many people who are healed spiritually. And, and that's what the Lord wants to do through us. That's, that's how we're going to turn this city upside down. We're going to cause a stir here that we're going to have a boldness and we're going to be known as the people Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for uh, your word. Help us to be your people. Help us to have boldness. Help us to to live in the life-changing work of Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.